Hi, I am Sri Raghavi Mani. I am a textile origamist and I work out of Jersey City, New Jersey. And welcome to Cut the Craft. What is your least favorite like house chore that you have to do? Like for both of us? Yeah, like for instance, I love doing the dishes, but I hate putting the dry dishes away. Hmm. And I was curious about what other people, how other people feel about that. Because hmm. I really hate putting them away. I'm always just like, I see them all dry and shiny on the rack. And I'm just like, ugh, I hate you. <laughs> huh. I don't know. Um, what What don't I like? I, I don't. I don't like cleaning windows. Ooh, that's a good one. Like, like yeah. Windex and all that kind of stuff. I just want them to be automatically clean. <laughs> that's the end of my story. Nice. <laughs> um, I think I don't like to mop. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. Ooh, that is yeah, a good I mean, one. Because just it's fill a- the tub with water and the and the liquid that we pour in it and then mop the mm-hmm. entire house that I don't like. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Yeah. But it's like so important to keep like dust out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I it know. does suck. Yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> but um, Brian, the one that you don't like, absolutely don't like, I love doing that. Really? <laughs> I love putting the dishes back. Yeah. It just gives me a sense of, oh, wow, I'm organizing things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah. can come visit anytime. <laughs> Just to put the dishes in your rack. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And we are here with Raghavi Mani, uh, working out of Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. So for someone who's unfamiliar with your work, uh, can you describe what you make and then how you kind of fit within your own field? Um, Yeah. So what I basically do is try and make fabric, uh, three-dimensional fabric structures. You know, we always tend to think of textiles as as surfaces, as two-dimensional surfaces or like a cloth. Mm-hmm. And um, I really wanted to not do that and have a sense of architecture built along with it. Mm-hmm. So I chose to, you know, go with origami because I'd been doing that as a kid as well. And um, when you ask how I fit within my field, that's a really tricky question. Mm-hmm. A good one, though, <laughs> um, because I don't think I really fit in just one field. Like there are so many multiple crafts that come together here. Um, there's print design. I, I make my own prints. I draw them. I sometimes digitize them. Um, I do lino cut, uh, like linoleum block cutting for, mm-hmm. for making my prints. And um, sometimes get wooden blocks carved from artisans. And if I have to go the distance, I probably even, I just weave my own cloth. And then I do origami with the fabric. So there's just so many crafts that sort of come together you know i um you know like jack of all trades Mm -hmm. it's it's something like that okay so when you talk about like folding cloth with origami are you is the cloth really stiff like how does that how does that work um, it's a process, actually. I starch the starch the fabric, oh, okay. and sometimes I I stitch it. Like I go with pin tucks, or uh, um, or I choose fabrics that just stay. Mm-hmm. Like I I had this woven fabric that was made of essentially plastic, and when I folded that with my fingers, like I put pressure with my fingers, and it it just stayed as as a pleat. Mm, mm-hmm. So there are many ways. Okay. That's so cool. It's like you're, yeah, you're like a jack of all these different trades, but then you're like sort of creating your own one where they all come together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, um, I read this somewhere or I probably, I heard this in a podcast um, where the best designer um, had the quality of making something that was familiar yet unique. 
Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes when I even myself look at uh, the product or or the craft, I feel like all of these techniques are familiar. They've been they're traditional. Um, they're they've been in practice for for ages now. Um, yet what I create with them, like the elements that I pick and bring together, it's just very different. So how did you get, like, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Like, how did you become interested in putting all these things together and making what you make? Um, honestly, it would be the journey of, um, of my life, literally, like the last 27 years. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, I'm ready. <laughs> tell me everything. <laughs> Um, no, I'm kidding. I mean, I actually grew up um, seeing my mom, seeing my grandmother um, stitch and embroider and paint. Uh, we would not buy as much um, decor earlier. Mm-hmm. Like they would make cushion covers or sofa covers and all home decor fabrics would be made at home. Wow. And I was used to that. Um, somewhere, I think it just subconsciously stayed. Mm-hmm. And um, I pursued my undergrad in textile design. Mm -hmm. And then like one thing led to the other. And then I graduated. I worked at a home furnishings company for for a couple of years. And I felt like it wasn't enough. Like everybody was doing the same thing. It was getting too commercial. And there was too much waste, uh, too much uh, textile landfill happening. Mm -hmm. So I chose to do... um, my masters and origami is also one thing that I had been doing um, as a kid, like in classes or just just like that. It just happened again. Mm-hmm. At Parsons, I combined the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also where I learned the difference between being a designer and an artist. Hmm. What's the difference? Um, as a designer, I was working for a client. As an artist, I, w- I started working for myself. Hmm. Like, that's the simplest way I can put it. Mm-hmm. That's so, yeah, that's such a succinct way of putting that. I don't think I've ever heard it quite put that way, but it, it really makes total sense. <laughs> that's like t-shirt worthy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, I, I should do this. <laughs> Oh. I would put a bu- I would get a bumper sticker that says that on it, and then underneath it, it just says, "So please donate today." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's strange how now I'm an artist with design skills. Like I still have everything tabulated and organized, and starting from Excel sheets. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fun. It's amazing. <laughs> so would you say, in terms of kind of like the the final product? I mean, because you seem very like um, process driven from looking at your website and reading through like your manifesto yeah. and things like that. It's very much like about the process, about. Oh, you read my um, manifesto. Wow. I got to. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and I really loved how you talked about how like you know, the craftspeople and the community are more important than the craft, hmm. and how like that's sort of yeah. what it's all about. And mm-hmm. so, but if we were to talk about kind of the product, like. Some of your pieces looked, you know, almost, I guess, more like like these beautiful, like decorative sort of sculptures, I guess. Um, and some of them yeah. were like wearable, um, were wearable pieces. And so I was just yes. curious to know, I guess, like, um, yeah, I guess where your interests lie now that you've wrapped up, you know, your program and you're kind of figuring out the next steps. Um, so the wearable part happened um i it just happened like i have never been into fashion design i don't i literally do not do not understand fashion um <laughs> me all. neither i don't understand You're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> and um i was invited to collaborate uh with Sriaspor um to, to, you know, like they said that you're doing this amazing thing. You're doing textile origami. Do you want to collaborate with us for for a, for a garment or for a look? I said, why not? 
And uh, literally two days before the show, I found out that it was for New York Fashion Week. I did not know. I was just doing it. I was just having fun with the pieces. Oh, wow. Um, So again, that was, I didn't see that as a wearable, I mean, a garment that was to go on the show. For me, that was like, oh, this is like a masterpiece. Let's let's go ahead with it. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it turned out really well. So that just happened. It was a very, very fortunate accident. That's okay. Awesome. <laughs> so, so most of your stuff was just focused on, like, you know, really exploring just yeah, the process of textile. Yeah, all the cultures that you have seen was me exploring uh, prints uh, or or mandala art that that I've been doing. And putting them into folds and see them get an entirely different dimension. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Can you tell us uh, about moksha and what that means in your work? Um, yes. Moksha is actually a Sanskrit word. Mm-hmm. And um, it means liberation or, or a transcendental state. Mm-hmm. And um, it is also what I named my capstone project um, at Parsons. And like you had, you've seen in my website, I've made about 30 origami fabric structures. And each of the prints are different on the pieces. So this project was like a process where I found my craft, like where I actually knew that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm. So hence Moksha. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, um, to figure this out was one of the most liberating experiences I had. Hmm. So I think it just fit the work, and it also fit, the name just was there. Yeah, you had the experience of moksha while you were working. Oh yes, on yes, the project absolutely. of moksha. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. So that's that's how um, moksha happened, and then um, after that, I started another Instagram page called Moksha, just for prints and products, um, because um, I wanted to put mandalas in the basic or the most simplest form that I am creating out there. So moksha was a start and a finish and a process. It was just everything encapsulated into one Hmm. so do you i'm curious what how you feel about do you feel that there's a a a contrast between that um the spiritual aspect of your work and what is being kind of presented in the craft community at large like is there do you feel like there's a difference in what you're making and what you see uh out there does that make any sense (laughs) um it does let me know if i'm saying too much though no no No. don't say we we want you Uh. to say i'm really curious because i i think it's interesting because we don't always get people we don't always get folks who are like really like embodying um that that part of themselves in their work like in an overt way if that yeah. makes any sense so i'm just really I curious it, about does, it absolutely does because this is the first time i had done it um so i know exactly what you mean um, before moksha happened um like i said i was a designer so i knew how to understand what a client um presented or said to said to us in a brief, like I knew how to crack the code over there. But um, Parsons really pushed me, or my course uh, really, really pushed me to find out what I wanted, and I absolutely had no idea. Right. So when I had to make this project, like when I had to build a capstone, capstone project, um, I had to like, Deep, dig really really deep within myself mm-hmm. so I understood that a craftsperson always has a part of them in their craft mm-hmm. and I see that in a lot of craftspeople like even the ones that I worked with um, back in India the ones who do embroidery I know that they do it for because they think of it like a job but then they have their heart in it mm-hmm. um, at the same time 
I know that I am on some sort of a spiritual, I wouldn't say quest. That mm-hmm. seems like a heavy word. Um, <laughs> on a path. But I'm trying to, yeah, all right, path. Path is a good word. Yeah. But on a spiritual path. But everyone doesn't have to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm here because that's how I process. So that's how I function. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, it's it's just that they're passionate about it. I am too, but this is my way of being passionate mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're right, though. I've not found a lot of people um, on a similar path. Mm-hmm. I am now. <laughs> I'm on the lookout for it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those things like um, where the... What, what am I trying to say? Like the, the creative part of you is being implemented. Like the, the sorry, I'm saying that backwards. The spiritual part of you is being sort of like manifested through, through creativity instead of like your ego being manifested through your create creativity. And I, I think there is a difference in, in the work that comes out. Definitely. Um, in folks who are motivated by different things, you know, and yeah, I don't know that there's, I I love how you put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's really wonderful to see your work and how it's, um, I'm so glad it translates like that. (laughs) It's so um, super obvious. I knew that I was doing it. I was doing my process. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how many people also saw that. I think it was a point where I stopped bothering how people (laughs) perceive it. I was like, let's just do it. Mm -hmm. It's making me happy. I'll think about what makes others happy after that. Right, right. And uh, I think even when the project was at an exhibit um, back in May, um, there were a few people who said that this, you know, this corner feels like a meditative spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I was happy with the feedback. Yeah. You were like, success. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> so then, like, how did that process of, like, origami and the meditative, like, flow that happens in that help you during like the lockdowns and your, your experience over the past two years? Um, so origami is a process where you need precision and repetition. And um, during COVID, I think there was a sense of, sorry, global panic mm-hmm. um, and chaos. And nobody really understood what was happening, at least for the initial, I think, eight to 10 months. Mm-hmm. When when the vaccines weren't out, when there were frequent lockdowns, and I was dealing with the lockdown over there, and how my family was taking it here too. Mm-hmm. So there was this absolute helplessness mm-hmm. um, where I was I had to stay put and not do anything mm-hmm. uh, and just hope for for the best. So I think there origami really helped. Um, you know, a sense of repetition always brings your nerves down. It calms you. It gives you a sense of control over what you have in hand at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I have OCD. Mm-hmm. So those clean lines and precise folds um, to have everything aligned, it it really, really calmed me, like mm-hmm. put me out of stress. So... That way, origami and even mandala art, both of them have repetition again and again and again. So that that did help me. Yeah. Um, did you share any of that with anyone else that you knew or that was having a hard time where you're like, hey, <laughs> you should start folding paper. It's really good. <laughs> um, I didn't. I don't think I could do that at that point because I didn't even know that this is why I was doing it. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. You know what I mean? Like I figured out that, oh, this was my coping mechanism Yeah. much, much later. Yeah, yeah. And I think somebody also pointed out, pointed it out to me that my work during this period was so different. And 
so much more organized like i am a pretty organized person but this was another level mm. so so yeah i mean by the time i realized that this is helping um i wouldn't say it was too late because i'm still planning to help uh-huh. with this uh-huh. i think yeah. i do want to conduct workshops for for both both of these mm-hmm. um but at that point i couldn't reach out to anybody else yeah 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 you were just in it yeah yeah i was in it i think i was helping myself um in, in a way where i didn't even know that i was helping myself right yeah yeah it it kind of pulled me through the yeah um through the pandemic yeah yeah being alone and alone there yeah yeah <laughs> that's so interesting um <laughs> uh so like what are you most proud of right now is it like the work that's just happened or how are you going to carry that into your future work um i think i list two of the um pieces that i've done that i'm most proud of so far um one was the garment of course that happened in collaboration with 3s4 i really really did not see that happening and the response i got was so overwhelming that it took me a while to um actually f- feel that it was happening mm-hmm. like i couldn't believe that it actually was <laughs> and um there's a very beautiful story in it too because um that piece it's called manipura and um it is um representing the solar plexus chakra among the seven chakras of our body Mm-hmm. and that is also spiritual right mm-hmm. and that the symbol of manipura has 10 petals mm-hmm. um around a circle and a triangle inside it and somehow this this was pure coincidence that that garment has 10 pieces joined together to form the entire piece huh. and that wasn't that wasn't a plan it just happened wow and that's amazing I, even this i realized after the show and um i was like oh it's beautiful how things happen yeah yeah <laughs> that's amazing um, and and even the process because i had never made a garment before um i i have never been a, a fashion designer before and i have only seen two fashion shows in my life one was 3 as 4 as a student and one where i was a designer for 3 as 4 so it was like a circle and it was unbelievable i was i was it took me a while to believe that it happened <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah so that piece for sure and the other was one piece from uh, it doesn't have a name really it's one of the pieces from the entire moksha collection the bundle um that's special because i made the entire print like i drew it by hand in one night and wow. it was super intricate um had about four or five colors in it and i i've made more mandalas before i've done more prints before but um i didn't think i could do something so fast i was like it was as if something had gotten into me and i was unstoppable it was just happening i didn't stop for a second to think which design goes here or which pattern should go here mm-hmm. you just did so it i was in a flow yeah. yeah and then even when i had the fabric printed with that design it was one of the first complex pieces that i had folded hmm. so wow. that is that one's going to be pretty special wow yeah wow <laughs> i man i totally live for those moments though when you just get like <laughs> You have that sense of focus and you know you don't even have to think about it because you're just doing it. Yeah. And you're just like if I think Absolutely. about it it'll probably get ruined anyway. So like <laughs> I just need to keep whatever this feeling is within myself going as mm-hmm. long as I can. Mm-hmm. And then there's just yes. like such a sense of like accomplishment unlike putting the dishes away um where you just really <laughs> feel like you did something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this it was it was almost magical. I think uh I have those moments sometimes. Mhm. Um where you forget everything around you. Mhm. 
um i'm sure you guys can also relate to that mm-hmm. oh totally um, yeah yeah where sure. you just constantly keep going you forget that you have to eat that that yeah. it's time to sleep yeah yeah nothing matters <laughs> yeah i think that's one of those things that like i i brian you can uh, chirp in here but i i think it's one of those things that everyone just loves about making things or if you can get to that place yeah. where it's like you know whatever um technique you're using has become more like muscle memory and then you can sort of just shut your your brain off and just go um I think yeah. that it's a lot like meditation and just like you said about like repetitive um movements for origami and that kind of stuff and how you can just sort of like release your grip on having to control the whole process and just let it go, then all these like amazing things start to happen. Yeah. 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 It's just the best. I'm like getting (laughs) tingles up my spine (laughs) thinking about it. (laughs) Well, and yeah, it's, it's especially because, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm in the process of setting up like a different studio space right now. And so it's like, and it, but this conversation is really making me think, um, about how I need that. I miss that feeling so much. And that's why I feel in such a panic to like get the space set up so I can start working again, because like, I, I haven't had that release for like two months and I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I feel you. Yeah. I I (laughs) I told this in one of my introductions, I think, at work, where my boss asked me uh, what I do on a vacation. And I said that I cannot live without work. (laughs) It's not really work for me. Even if I have to go somewhere, if I have to travel for a a proper vacation, I carry sketchbooks, I carry Mm -hmm. um, colored pencils or pens. It's always there. Like I've come here for a four-week trip and I have papers and... (laughs) And a folding tool and a cutting tool. I brought my cutting mat here. I, mean, <laughs> I have one baggage allowed and I brought craft supplies. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> yeah. I can completely relate to that. Like I have a really hard time not going or like going yeah. anywhere and not taking something or I'm like, even if I don't use it, I'm like, well, I better take an ax because I might. I might want to carve something or like I better take a couple of knives just in case. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, it, it very much reminds me of uh, uh, Dawson Moore, uh, who Raghavi we interviewed in episode six, I think. But there was a he lives in way northern Michigan. And a couple of years ago, he took a trip to California. And I just remember seeing pictures of him carving spoons by the poolside in California. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes. I saw his work. Yes. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, I think we're, uh, it's a, it's a special type of person. I <laughs> uh, yeah. I think the experience also changes, right? Like mm-hmm. um, for craftspeople, um, where we are, it always changes the mood with which we are working. Mm-hmm. And um, even on vacations, um, like I can see the difference in my designs, when I'm sitting at home versus when I'm sitting in the office or when I'm at in a vacation. What do you feel is different about them? I don't know. Maybe like the curves would have changed. I might be using more shapes, for instance, mm-hmm. or sometimes I'd feel like using more colors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe not. Um, sometimes I would want to go super intricate and sometimes I would want to go super abstract. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that changes with, Obviously, what is within, but also with what is around you. Mm -hmm. The John C. Campbell Folk School's new catalog for all 2022 classes is now available. Explore a variety of subjects, including basketry, weaving, blacksmithing, woodworking, and more through their e-catalog at folkschool.org. Scholarship opportunities are available for all classes. So for more information, visit the scholarship page on their website, folkschool.org, or email scholarships at folkschool.org. The North House Folk School teaches traditional craft on the shores of Lake Superior and online. 
Learn everything from shoemaking to spoon carving and wool spinning to timber framing. Now taking registration for courses through June of 2022. Learn more at northhouse.org. And also I want to teach. I want to teach design back in India. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Because it was um, one of the main differences in design education that I had in India versus what I saw at Parsons. Um, like I'm not endorsing Parsons in any way. I'm just talking mm-hmm. about my faculty here. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> the kind of support and mentoring that they gave me. Um, when I graduated from NIFT, I didn't even realize that I need to find the artist side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was such a trained designer to work in the industry. Like mm. I was ready to go. And I feel that there is this sort of mindless production of designers happening every year mm-hmm. where they don't even realize that they're just constantly making um what everyone else has been making for the last few decades mm-hmm. and there's not much thought into it mm-hmm. and i realized this after like after my graduation um like my my undergrad bachelor's and when i was working because i was working for a firm that does amazing work but um again had a very commercial aspect to it and it's like something needs to change here mm-hmm. and i needed to find out what that was and how to do it wow but what sort of form does that um would that take i mean in terms of like it being less commercial is it in terms of scale or in terms of yeah like does that does that question make sense um i hope the answer makes sense if i made sense <laughs> of your question <laughs> um if i've understood your question right um i think Brian, um what i mean is what i've seen what i've also seen is that a lot of people like literally in india there are thousands and thousands of people who go to a cluster of craftspeople, get, say, a few yards of fabric printed, um, make a bunch of cushions out of it or, or say, garments out of it, and they sell it as a brand. Mm-hmm. The, the, com- the crafts community might be getting paid for it, but I don't think that they get the value and respect that they deserve, hmm. first. And second, when they're selling it, I don't think the story of the craftsperson actually goes out as much as it is required. Hmm. And this has been happening for the longest time. Like that's how designers initially started functioning, where they would go to a bunch of artisans in the villages, have some products made and sell them. Like they were the middlemen. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And that is still happening. Like one even if they're making new designs, I think that's just so that their brand gets more recognition. Mm-hmm. But the person who's working is still the craftsperson. Mm. They're doing the marketing work in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. when I saw that even people from my batch and, and my juniors, a lot of people, um, they're doing the same thing. And probably that's what they want to do um, uh, to have a brand and everything. That's great. But at the same time, I think to understand why we are creating or why we are making, that is really important. Mm-hmm. So you're really looking at like a systemic change with how, you know, these like brands are being built and manufactured and everything and kind of closing the like putting the person who's actually doing the making more back at the at the center of things where they should be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it should be like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, at least the students right now who are studying, they should at least be given this option. Like they should be made aware that, so, you know, you can do something for yourself, that there can be more value to an artisan or a craftsperson mm-hmm. versus the industrial approach to every single thing. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that is the systemic change that I'm talking about over here. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I wasn't given that. Like, I never even thought about it when I was in my undergrad. Right. Um, for me, I just knew that 
yeah the like the rotary was was this measurement and mm-hmm. i had to make prints according to this or mm-hmm. this is how a fabric is woven mm-hmm. um these are the classic weaves this is this is how i grew up you know mm-hmm. client boards color palettes trends and forecasts mm-hmm. and i know that that's how most of the world functions mm-hmm. but when we are now creating for the niche instead of the masses i think we can bring that change i think this is the right time mm-hmm. so it's like you you it's like you saw that most most of what's being taught is like how to do all this stuff but it was like no one was asking why we're doing it this way <laughs> perfect yeah you just put it the best way yeah it's i think yeah. it's a little bit like I really love to see things like that like a little bit more questioning around like philosophy of around like yeah wait a second let me like shake my head a little bit and look up from my work and say why am I doing it like this like and start doing some introspection around why we're doing things the way yes. that we're doing them yeah yeah that's really cool yes that's that's just perfect perfect how you've put it you know yeah um the why wasn't there yeah and yeah. i want to be able to push more um upcoming design students or artists to to question that mhm Mm-hmm. So like we don't necessarily need to follow every single trend. It's okay to not do that. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> Totally, yeah. It's simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's how you can teach the students. You show them a trend and you're like, "Okay, I need you to do this." And then they start to do it and then you slap them in the face and then you go, "No, don't do the trend." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I read this somewhere that rules were made so that there was a sense of order it was never meant to bend your ways to just fit in mm. because of those rules mm-hmm. totally and that yeah. just made so much sense like rules were supposed to help were supposed to help us to you know facilitate and make things easier for us mm-hmm. to- and and not be rigid <laughs> right right give a, a loose structure and not not the box that yeah. you stay in yeah Yeah, it's kind of uh maybe instead of doing rules they should teach like origami or knitting, things that have like a lot of sort of good structure to them, but then also you can take it in a lot of di- different directions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> knitting is also what I do when I need to really really stress down, like I need to calm calm down. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm in an absolute absolute amount of stress knitting really helps mm-hmm. and i only know one form of knitting and i'm really happy doing that um, i'm exactly the same way like awesome. exactly the same way i make sweaters and beanies and that's it and and actually you know you talk about it when you like really really need to calm down that was exactly my experience i was going through you know the my whole existential crisis when i was like 18 or 19 and i had sort of relearned how to knit from a friend mm-hmm. and i would just sit there oh, wow. and i was just knitting a tube <laughs> and originally it was supposed to be my first sweater but i would sit there when i like couldn't deal with when i couldn't deal with anything else that was going on i would just go into a corner with the knitting and i would just sit there and i would just knit in a circle over and over and over and over and over again <laughs> and i never finished it oh, but it had a yeah. lot of but a lot of things in body there's a sense of mindfulness to it but at the same time you're not thinking about it yes like it's contrasting definitely. it's mm-hmm. yeah it's always like that <laughs> it's a perfect it's a wonderful paradox i love knitting yes mm-hmm. i i thrive in paradoxes and and oxymorons <laughs> i read that on the manifesto too <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah well I mean, it, it is very true yeah like when i was brainstorming um how to bring fabric and origami together i think the first thing i realized was that there um what i'm trying to achieve with something very soft to make it something very structural they are opposites mhm and mm. then i started realizing that i tend to see that in everything <laughs> Mm. <laughs> like I love when opposites have bridges. Mhm. Oh man. Um I think yeah. I tried to mirror that in my work. Yeah. 
It's like finding balance in the dual, like dualism. Yeah. 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 That's really important. It's, it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. Ah, so mm-hmm. good. This is a good so. conversation. This is like, it's like, <laughs> this conversation is like a cup of tea. Like it just makes you feel warm and happy. <laughs> I'm so good to hear that. Resurrection is a broader term than it is often used as. Since I've been born, I've had a 100% resurrection rate out of my bed. That piece of sentimental clothing you only bust out once a year on special occasions? Resurrected. Brought back into the fold to add another layer to the processes of your life. And once that item tears the tatters where you can't even wear it, could be cloth for a quilt or a rag if you're not so attached to its purposes. Resurrected. Repurposed. And it's great, except that it hides surrection, which means to heave upward, to rise up the first time. The prefix re masks this and connotes a falling that occurred. A falling tree by the hand of man is felled and by the hand of man can also be shaped into a different sense of its material substance through how it calls out. You can't take the forest with you, but you can take a tree that needs you. Just like them, we have layers beneath the skin. What if something more is needed? Not a resurrection, but a new surrection that doesn't yet have a name. You ever catch yourself wondering if you matter? Just remember that you matter isn't just a phrase promoting positivity, but also a grammatically poor word structure revealing that you are, in fact, made of matter. So how could you not matter? A basket holds itself together. In the words of our next guest's grandfather, they are vessels for carrying heavy loads. A basket case is usually a basket, too. So even if you feel like a basket case, you're really holding yourself and your inner basket together. That's all. We live in hard times. You're doing you. And another thing you could do is come listen to Maine's Gabriel Frey amongst the trees. Come listen to how he lifts up his Passamaquoddy and Wabanaki culture and history and heritage through twisting of pounded strips of black ash wood into utility baskets and more that he's heaving up into the future. So, I mean, you basically, you've been talking about sort of like your own personal transformations the whole time. So this, this uh, <laughs> question is kind of redundant, but are there anything else that, uh, any other personal transformations that you've had through the, the craft work that you're doing? Um, or anything you want to elaborate on? I've covered everything, more or less. <laughs> but, uh, but I think the way I used to see collaboration was very different. Mm. Like, um, I, I've started seeing that very recently now, like in the last couple of months, mm-hmm. um, even after Three Years War happened, because that was, in a way, my first collaboration or a freelance project that I did and um, ever since that happened I started looking at collaborators and how we can talk to people I started probably sending cold emails to people that you know what I love your work can I can we do something together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was that easy because before that um, I used to be very conscious I would I would draft emails like a 10 times on mm-hmm. how to get the, the sentences right, mm-hmm. how to make the best statements that would sell my case. And then I realized that, you know, the other person is also just human. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Let's just talk to them. Let's just say hi. And I think that's how I also reached out to you. Um, mm-hmm. When I, um, it, you guys were at that seminar presenting and I was like, I have to talk to these people. And while you were presenting, I opened your website and I wrote, I literally wrote down simultaneously that 
let's do this, let's talk. <laughs> and I'm glad it worked. And even when I visited Delhi this time, before coming here, I reached out to a couple artists. I said that, you know what, I've been seeing your work. I absolutely love it. I want to do something together. And I went and met them. Like they scheduled a meeting. It was it was great. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It, it became awesome. easy. So that I think yeah. has been one of the most valuable um, things I've learned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. I can, I definitely, that's definitely been my experience too, where just like connecting on a human level just goes a long way and not being yeah. afraid to just write someone and say like, Hey, I love what you do. And like, it doesn't have to go anywhere, but worst case scenario, it makes that person have a slightly better day. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what about your work satisfies you? And then what are some of the challenges that you've had to undertake um what satisfies me mm-hmm. um we've been talking about it for a while so i'm just <laughs> going to repeat it because the first point is repetition yeah. <laughs> uh, the repetition in the work satisfies me like um in its truest sense really mm-hmm. um pattern or or symmetry both both mandala and and origami have a sense of symmetry mm-hmm. um and balance to them mm-hmm. um like we see in uh, Middle Eastern architecture as well, mm-hmm. like the patterns, the symmetry, there's something that's really satisfying about all of that. To just mm-hmm. look at it. It's like a visual treat. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to create that, um, I think it's, I'm grateful that I can do it. Mm. Um, yeah. So that that does satisfy me. And and the paradoxes and contrasts that we've been talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, it's it's wonderful how you are able to see something that a lot of people can't recognize. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's making sense, mm-hmm. but um, and to do something about it. So yeah, that that does satisfy me. And what's challenging? Um, I sort of injured my wrist during the folding process. Ooh, mm. does that count? <laughs> I would yes. say that counts, yeah. Physical challenges, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that I think that was um that was it. And the time it takes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um mm. because I think if I'm making one piece, I might have like ten uh, ten more ideas mm-hmm. to do ten more things. Mm-hmm. And I would be so focused on finishing this one piece that I might forget the last five ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even if I write it down, I even sketch it on in my journal, you know, sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and then I forget in what context I made it, what I was thinking at that point of time, <laughs> because it's been a while. I do the same and, thing. <laughs> and if it happens on a weekly basis, then you're you're literally running out of say fifty ideas <laughs> just like that. <laughs> you're like, where'd they all go? Yeah, and I'm like, oh, oh, damn! I had, I, I had such an amazing idea. This, this would have been great, and I can't think what that was. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Or like when you do, it's the worst too. Like you said, when you like, you take a note, but you didn't provide enough context, so it's like, yeah, you took the time <laughs> to help yourself remember, yes. <laughs> and then you still forgot. <laughs> That's yes, I've started. That, that is disappointing. <laughs> I've I've started to like. That's happened enough for me that when I write something down, I be sure to like write about what I was thinking about before I had this, you know, fantastic, supposedly fantastic idea so that I remember what frame of mind I was in, (laughs) so that I can actually remember why it was so smart. (laughs) If I were to try to do that, the problem would be that if I were to write what I was thinking about, it would probably just be Cheez-Its every time <laughs> I was writing it down. <laughs> um, you, maybe you could record it when you think. Like oh, that's I, a good I, idea. I do, yeah, I do that. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've not done that yet. I should, it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, oh, lastly, I, I wrote this down, actually. Uh, I think <laughs> one challenge that I face in um, at a lot of places is to explain exactly what I do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy when 
uh, I'm talking to craftspeople or fellow artists or even designers. Um, but a lot of time, um, this has happened more in India, where I'm trying to explain to someone in my parents' generation that, you know, this is what I'm doing. And actually, I shouldn't uh, blacklist a generation like that, even people from mine, um, that I'm not in. I'm not an engineer. I'm not into marketing. I'm not into management. What I'm doing is something entirely different. And the most they make out of it is, oh, you're a fashion designer. Can you make these clothes for me? Mm. Hmm. And I don't know how to answer that. Like sometimes there are places that I go prepared with an elevator pitch, like in social settings, mm-hmm. um, about what to say to friends that this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like if when you start to uh, teach uh, the way that you want to teach if you, when you go back to India, do you feel like you'll get any pushback from, from anyone around like, even if, like if you're having problems like communicating what it is you actually do, do you think that there'll be like someone who's like doesn't, completely doesn't understand, you'll have to sort of like break through a barrier? I might, um, there might be this issue, but I think that's there for all educators Mm. to, you know, get through to everyone. Um, That is challenging. And um, it is also a challenge I feel I want to take. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, even if I'm able to convince one person that you don't have to necessarily um, mindlessly create pieces and sell Mm -hmm. there's a lot more you can do with it um Mm -hmm. i think i won't say i would have done my job but i think that would be a start Mm -hmm. Hmm. that's really great do you have any mentors you'd like to acknowledge that have made a difference in your practice and what you're doing oh yes um quite a few actually i have this tendency to learn from everyone that I meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would name three people here. One would be my professor um, named Debujoti Ganguly. Um, in my undergrad, um, I think I learned my basics over there. Mm-hmm. What to do, how to do. Um, the why part, like I said, wasn't really covered so much. Mm-hmm. But um, he really gave that push to, you know, continue further and not just settle for um, for the jobs. Mm-hmm. And then um, at Parsons, and I think I owe my craft to this person would be Gabby. Um, he is one of the co-founders of 3S4. Okay. And uh, he actually recognized um, the skill and pushed me really, really, really hard. Like he sort of enabled me to do it through the pandemic. Um, He provided me the space to do it. We were all in lockdown. The college was shut and uh, his studio was in Jersey. So he helped me out by saying that, you know what, come here, let's work it out together. Mm -hmm. And that was, he has inspired me in many, many ways to, to figure this out. And then there would be Preeti, who was my program director and my philosophy teacher at Parsons. Hmm. Um, She did the conceptual part. Um, I mean, my perspective towards work definitely changed, but I think my perspective towards life in general also changed a lot. Hmm. So these three people, I definitely or my practice, whatever I've learned so far. And how can I forget my family? I mean, that's where the skill comes from. (laughs) We have a bunch of artists here. So genetically thankful. (laughs) Genetically thankful. I'm going to totally steal that. (laughs) So you mentioned that like your perspective perspective on life had changed through one of your mentors can you can you tell us more about that I'm curious how it changed um because of the course literally Mm. um I first we didn't know what philosophy was Mm. and 
the way I learned it in class or the way I perceived it from her was that I, you know, I think one of the most primary learnings was that nothing is really right or wrong. Mm. It's how you see it. Mm-hmm. And there were so many principles or, or learnings when you put to everyday life. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think it also gave me the patience to actually listen to another person and see how they think. Mm. Um, mm. Otherwise, we mostly just tend to hear and not grasp much of it. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to draw comparisons afterward um, on how different people perceive different situations where the content delivered is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was interesting to draw parallels like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it would tell you a lot about that, those people too. So, yeah. So yeah. that way, I think it definitely did. That's really cool. So what inspires you outside of your craft? (laughs) And you can't say your craft. You can't say knitting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I barely give myself time outside of craft, but I have to, I have to say music. Um, Mm. As a kid, my parents put me into music classes, like singing classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned to sing like classical Indian music from oh. the age of four to 15. Wow. Cool. That's great. So I grew up singing. So I think that um, inspires me outside of outside of the craft. Wow. And... Um, other than that, I always want to learn different things. Like anything I see, I find really, really interesting. I, I want to learn that. Um, once I got a um, Christmas present at a white elephant party, uh, which was a DIY ukulele. Oh, wow. And what? <laughs> I built it and then COVID happened and then I learned to play it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's so amazing. Fun. So now you know how to play the ukulele. <laughs> Now I know how to play the ukulele, and now I know how to play and sing together. So I'm that's happy amazing! With that. Oh my gosh, I want to ask and you to other sing. Than that, but... if... Yes, <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. I won't put you on the spot. I'm I'm almost shivering right now because it's cold here. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay, okay. Oh. Um, but yeah, um, because I always keep wanting to learn. Um, so I also enroll myself into courses when I have time. Mm-hmm. It's weird because I never have time. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I keep doing something. I, I really, really never get bored. Yeah, that's that's great. That used to be the that's one thing quality. I could say that my mom would get really mad at me when I was a kid. If I was like, I'm bored, she was just like, get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> She didn't say she never talked to me like that, but she was, you know, she was very (laughs) sweet about it. But she was like, there's tons of stuff to do. Like, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, I think I do have to thank my parents for that in, in a way where, um, when I was, when I was a kid, I do not have siblings. So I grew up alone in my house Mm -hmm. and, um, I never had the time to get bored growing up. Like I was in some class or the other. I was, I had tennis classes, a backus, mm-hmm. music, and then I learned the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always engaged in something or the other. Mm-hmm. And I love to read. I still love to read. Mm-hmm. Um, if I ever had, um, I wish I had some, as much time um, as I used to in high school. Like I would finish books over a weekend. <laughs> That's the best. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I've never, I didn't grow up getting bored ever. So, yeah. I'm still not used to the idea of it. Yeah. (laughs) Me neither. I I don't think I'm ever bored. I hope I don't. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's it's a perk when you when you're making. Like your hands always have something to work with. Mm Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you can knit, you can sew, you can draw, you can mold. Uh, yeah. Recently, I bought a box of clay because I had seen these clay jewelry that a lot of people are making. And I was like, okay, I want to learn this. So what clay jewelry? I have a box of clay at home. 
um you know people are making a lot of uh, it is clay right the the air dry clay or oh it's like the polymer I, clay is that right yeah yeah, yeah. The polymer clay okay that's cool. so and that was an impulse buy like <laughs> two in the night I it and i was like i i'm gonna do this so i bought clay and i also bought those um stencils to cut clay and i bought uh-huh. clay um, carving tools and the base <laughs> and the roller and everything <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do this. Here so now go. when I'm back, I am going to do this. <laughs> but then, um, because I've seen so much of it, um, now I want to try origami with it. So yeah, I was just thinking, that'd be so cool. Oh my gosh. You I know, yeah. to see it. Um, another uh, person who we interviewed, Haiti Kyle, she's a book artist. And um, yeah. she said at the beginning of her interview that she's recently been exploring um she does like tons of paper folding um that's kind of what one of the things she's really known for and um she has a book maybe you'd like it actually called the art of the fold and it's just all about uh employing folding within book arts um but she was talking about using porcelain um and playing rolling out porcelain really thin and doing folds with that is one of the things she's been recently exploring so it's kind of in a in a similar vein kind of neat yeah what's her name again um it's haiti kyle um and it's h-e-d-i um k-y-l-e and yeah. she's she's everywhere if you just look up haiti kyle like book she'll pop yeah. up um yeah but anyway wow. so yeah yes. <laughs> yeah she's i think kind of like at the um what would you say brian she's like a sort of like a foundational book arts uh yes. person yeah, who definitely. has been super super influential yeah um so oh, wow. yeah you before can't there her. were social media influencers <laughs> yeah yeah before <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Wow. she she's amazing uh i mean she's done so so much um so yeah. Anyway, but maybe it'd be worth sending her one of those uh, one of those out of the blue emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I am gonna do that. <laughs> um. So, if uh, if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? Um. I'm so far. I'm most active on Instagram, mm-hmm. though as not as much as I have to be. I should be, <laughs> but um, I think pensive penning and moksha are two accounts that I'm using fairly well mm-hmm. and my website um i'm putting up more stuff there so these two places would be most ideal and those right? are those are pensive penning is that all one word um it is pensive underscore penning okay okay and uh, moksha is mo dot k-s-h-a okay underscore zero six underscore zero six okay we'll we'll be sure to tag all of that on the show notes so people can find it yeah thank you cool well ragavi thank you so much for joining us on the show it's been just as good as we expected it to be yeah thank you so (laughs) much thank you so much brian i was i was so nervous before this (laughs) (laughs) are you still nervous did, did we release some of it? No, I'm just thirsty. <laughs> I'm just thirsty. <laughs> I'm just thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll let you get some water. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation and also to everyone who has supported the show, whether financially or otherwise. An extra special thanks to Zach for joining us on Patreon and to Lisa, David, Devin, Doug, and D-A-W, Don. <laughs> so many Ds. <laughs> so many Ds. So... <laughs> All you listeners who have e-names, get ready uh, for the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, as mentioned at the beginning, we have a beautiful hand-woven item made by Porfirio Gutierrez for our annual patron giveaway this April. And we are also kicking off our monthly patron Zoom gatherings. So if supporting the show, raising money for scholarships, and getting some Cut the Craft swag isn't a good enough reason to help us keep the show going, now you have two more reasons. (laughs) Yeah, so every contribution matters, both for helping us grow the podcast and raising money for your scholarships. 
Also, thank you to our sponsors, North House Folk School in Minnesota and John C. Campbell Folk School in Western North Carolina. And a free way to support us is to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we also appreciate the feedback. If you'd like to see more images of guests' work or stay up to date on other happenings like the class giveaways we've done with John C. Campbell or Pocosin Arts, please follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast. Also, if you want to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio on the podcast page. You can also email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or recommendations for the show, or even if you just want to say hi. And as always, a huge thanks to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for letting us use your music and for help with production. And to Justin Williams for writing those poetic tidbits introducing our upcoming guests. Coming up next, we have a smash hit home run interview (laughs) with Black Ash Basket Weaver Gabriel Frey. So to get a little glimpse into our conversation, here's a clip. Thanks again for joining us. See you next time. What I found to be incredibly helpful when I first started attending these markets was bringing a log and Mm -hmm. pounding it in front of people. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's a $600 basket and people are used to what we were talking about earlier, you know, these like $5 trinkets that you can get. They're like, why is that so much? But then you don't have to go into like, well, I want to value my time and I think I'm worth it. Um, Instead, (laughs) you can just go, well, here, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. and. This is what this process creates. And then they're like, here's $1,200. Yeah, they're like, here, here. Yes, it's definitely worth it. 